Miguel Cabrera hits 3,000. The Yankees are messing things up time and time again. The NFL draft is this week. There's a lot to get through. There's not a lot of time, so no weird-ass intro. Strictly business. I'm wired. Let's go. I said there wasn't going to be a weird intro, but I didn't say there wasn't going to be a cheesy intro. Now, that's cheesy at its finest, but it's a good song, so leave me alone. First, baseball. This be the third time I talk baseball ever on this show. It'll be a common thing probably as the summer goes on because there will be NHL will be over, NBA will be over, everything will be over, and it'll just be baseball and Call of Duty and Battlefield. So baseball is going to be a lot more in the forefront come you know, a couple months once the NHL playoffs start and then finish, and then once the NBA playoffs are done. But I'm a Detroit sports fan, in case you didn't know. That's kind of a shock, considering that's about a lot that I talk about here. But Miguel Cabrera hits this big milestone, right? He gets 3,000 hits. He's also got 500 home runs. It's something that doesn't happen very often, and it's something that hasn't happened really for Detroit sports in a while, at least a moment as big as this. So I want to start with what Miguel Cabrera did. And, and there's also kind of two little mini issues for the Yankees that combine into one bigger issue. So we're going to talk about three smaller baseball things and how it's kind of like one big thing. And then we'll do the big thing later, which is the NFL draft. And I want to talk about the Lions is going to be the main focus of my NFL draft uh, speaking session. But also, I am going to talk, get ready for this, Jacksonville Jaguars football. Because really what the Jags do is going to determine what the Lions do. So I'm going to start with the Jaguars, and then we'll go to the Lions. And we're going to do, we're going to do a lot of numbers and breakdowns. And we're going to really take a look at a couple different things that I want to highlight for the Lions. And then at the end, just say who I want, what I want the Lions to do at number two. And then also at 32 slash 34. Now, what I'm going to say right now off the bat about picks 32 and 34 for the Lions is I'm going to be, I'm going to be kind of vague about it. I'm not going to give a specific player who I want them to take. I'm not going to give a specific mock of what player they're going to take or what player I think they're going to take or who I want them to take. It's going to be more of a general, what do I want them to do with 32? And what do I want them to do at 34? Or do I want to see them take those two picks, put them into a package, trade up, or have somebody else trade up for these picks and have the Lions get more capital for the future? So with all of that out of the way, with all of the what's going to happen today on Take the Plunge, let's go to baseball. It's kind of old news, right? Which is why I'm not going to reiterate it and go over the whole, you know, history of Miguel Cabrera. He had 3,000 hits. He's got 500 home runs, right? You've heard the story. You know, you saw it happen, most of you. I didn't see it happen because I couldn't watch the game because, you know, Tigers-Rockies wasn't exactly a main broadcasting uh, thing in North Dakota television. So, sorry, I couldn't watch it. But I was watching other stuff, and I saw the notification pop up over my phone. I was like, good. Glad to see it happen. You know, I loved watching the highlights, seeing Comerica Park full again. So it was just, I don't, I don't want to harp on this too long just because 
you know, it, it's, it's old news, right? And I only do this once a week, right? I, I don't have, I have time, but I don't have a ton of time. And it's not this, this is something where I would have loved to do like a 15 minute, just like mini show, but it, one, it was inconvenient. And two, I honestly, I don't have a big enough platform to where I'm going to like, when something like that happens, I'm going to take a bunch of time out of my day to do a mini show and then talk about it. So I just wanted to say, as a Tiger fan, watching Miguel Cabrera get 3,000 hits and him and I I'll believe only six other players in history have 3,000 hits and 500 plus home runs in the history of the MLB, you know, as a Tiger fan, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked because I haven't seen excitement like this for anything Detroit Tigers in a long time. I mean, the last, the last excitement we had as Tiger fans was Miguel hitting his 500th home run. Right. So, and then before that, it was another Miguel milestone. Right. So all that I've had as a Tiger fan to root for since, I mean, 2013, basically 2013 or 14, when I was 11 and 12 years old and I'm almost 20 now. And I, you know, I've had nothing to root for, for this team. I've had nothing to see. And, and Comerica Park, I see, is filled beyond 75% capacity once a year. And that's opening day. And to see it filled full capacity for something that's not opening day is, is a big deal to me. Because I don't talk a ton of baseball. And I don't think baseball is my strongest sport in terms of my knowledge of it and, and how much I talk about it and how good I am, frankly, in my opinion, at talking about it. I think ba- is baseball is a weaker aspect of of my speaking game personally. But when it comes to watching Comerica Park, watching the fans, seeing the buzz in Detroit surrounding the Tigers, and I'm seeing, like I've said, seeing Comerica Park full, I mean, it, it's a 40-plus thousand people all in the ballpark, and, and you don't, you know, you see all these, venues right you see you see dodger stadium you see you know you see fenway you see the boys that play in the bronx who i'm going to get to in a second right you see all these different venues full not regularly but but multiple times during the season and and you just wish as a tiger fan and i wish that i could see comerica park full you know once or twice a month on a home game for a friday night where it's 70 degrees perfect weather on a June night in Detroit. And you just don't see it because Tiger fans have had nothing. I've had nothing for the better part of seven, eight years, right? So when I, when, when I see Comerica Park full like that, when I see all the fans, when I see all the hype and hear all the hype around the city and, you know, people, friends texting me, you know, people at the game and, and there's, there just, there is an excitement surrounding the Tigers or any Detroit sports team like that, like at all until, you know, until the Lions come around, right? The Lions play two games. Their people are excited about them. Then hope gets lost by mid-October, right? So then there's no more Lions. The Wings have been terrible. The Pistons have been terrible. And, and you're starting to think that maybe the Wings and the Pistons are, are on their way up. And I would argue that they are. But, but Tigers stayed or, you know, watching the Tigers on, on Saturday and watching the highlights. It was something where, you know, I haven't seen it for the Tigers in a long time. And I haven't seen it for the Tigers, Red Wings, or Pistons in a long time. Even when the Pistons made that BS playoff run, whatever it was, 2018, I think it was, when they went as an eight seed and got smashed by the Bucks, right? Like, I, 
we haven't seen it. And it's good to have people back. And it's good to, to take a look around the city and understand that, wow, people are really excited for a team. Something really great can happen for the city of Detroit. And when it did, it was like, wow. And then before that, Detroit got national recognition because of something that Detroit didn't do. The Yankees and Aaron Boone intentionally walked Miguel Cabrera two nights before. Now, there are the arguments, there are the discussions, there are the conversations. Was it the right thing to do? Was it the baseball smart play? Some people say yes, some people say no. Oh, you're a Tigers fan, you're going to say no. Yeah, you're right, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no that it isn't the baseball, right baseball move. Here's who Aaron Boone decided to walk Miguel Cabrera for. Who he would rather face than Miguel Cabrera. Austin Meadows. Okay, oh, you think Austin Meadows, that guy that was washed and injured and had COVID and did nothing last season? Yeah, that Austin Meadows. So let's get into the numbers real quick. You know, pulled up a couple of splits for those of you that actually like baseball statistics. I'm not saying that those of you aren't out there. I'm saying if you are a baseball fan, chances are you like baseball statistics and you like numbers. So Austin Meadows against left-handers this season, five hits and 13 at-bats. Miguel Carrera, three hits and 13 at-bats. Austin Meadows batting average this season, 333. Miguel Carrera, 319. In the game, both were 0 for 3, entering that at-bat. Cabrera was 0 for 3, entering his intentional walk. Meadows is 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. Cabrera had struck out twice. Was it the right play? No. Statistically and baseball courtesy-wise. I know this is in daycare. I know it's not everybody shakes each other's hands and we sing with each other and we have a great time at Comerica Park on a Friday or no, Thursday, Thursday or Friday, whatever day it was. You know, I get that it's not that. It's Major League Baseball. Cabrera is not what he once was. Austin Meadows has been playing well all season. Cabrera was 0 for 3 entering the at-bat with two strikeouts. He was hitting against the lefty who he has hit under 250 against this season. Two, less than 250 against lefties this season. Three for 13. And for those of you wondering, yes, the Yankees pitcher was a left-handed pitcher that was pitching against Miguel Cabrera. That's why I'm saying all this left-handed pitcher nonsense. So I think that it was the wrong move, and I think it was a stupid move. Because why wouldn't you just give him the shot? He's 0 for 3 for the entire game so far. There's no point in, in, in not pitching to the guy. Oh, but historically, he's hit better against left-handed pitchers. Historically, yes. Historically, as in the past. In case you hadn't noticed, his game has kind of declined over the last, mm, since my sophomore year of high school. So sorry that I don't think that he's Mickey Mantle. Prime. So that's kind of, that's my thoughts. That's my thoughts on it. I that's that's all I have on it, really, in terms of the the intentional walk. Because you guys have heard it, right? You heard the interviews. You heard Aaron, what Aaron Boone said. Oh, I, it was baseball wise. You know, it hurt me, right? It, it ached in my heart to intentionally walk him. And no, it really didn't because he didn't really hesitate. He looked for about three seconds, like, yeah, we're gonna intentionally walk this guy. And then the Yankees fan smiling in the stands in Comerica Park. That's disgusting. Moving on to Yankee fans, that's a pretty good uh, transition. 
What are Yankee fans doing? Because I think there's there's obviously this whole you know Yankees are the 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 bad boys of the MLB right they're they're the the evil empire as the Detroit Tigers commentator put it right he was like you and you wonder why that the New York Yankees continue to be the evil empire of the MLB now I won't take it that far but you know the Yankees obviously being a national brand right I mean. Ask any girl walking around a Yankees hat to name four Yankees. They won't be able to tell you, but it's a, it's a national logo. It's a national brand, right? And when your fans tarnish that brand, when they basically step on it or, hmm, throw beer cans at it and drench it in beer, it's, it's not a good look. So you have the fans smiling in Comerica Park when they intentionally walk Miguel Cabrera. And then you have Yankee fans throwing stuff after their team plays a good game against the Cleveland Guardians. After your team plays a good team uh, plays a good game against the Guardians, they're throwing stuff at them. And Oscar Mercado had most of it directed at him. And then Miles Straw was also in the area when it all happened. Both were interviewed after the game. And the biggest takeaway from what, in my opinion, from what uh, Miles Straw said was. There's no business for that, right? You can do whatever you want. Talk about my family, talk about my wife, talk about all these different things, right? You know, give me the middle finger. You can talk crap. You can do all these different things. But there's no business for throwing beer cans. There's no business for trying to hurt people, which is what Oscar Mercado said. Quote, cheer and chirp, but don't try to get people hurt. And so Yankee fans overall, it's kind of not necessarily a call to action because the hell are you going to listen to me for? You have no reason to listen to me. I'm a North, I'm a North Dakota nobody, future Iowa nobody, right? So it's just kind of, it's, it's not necessarily me saying Yankee fans need to be better and thinking that I, whatever I say is going to, you know, change how Yankee fans behave. But my opinion on this entire issue is, that fans overall, and you're starting to see it a little bit more. I don't know what maybe post-COVID people are just hyped to be back into the stands. They get more hammered before games and they do all this crazy stuff. Right? I don't know what it is. But, you know, you, you see Kyrie in the fans. And you see you see it in the NBA. You've seen it in the NFL. I mean, you've seen it in Philadelphia. I mean, there are tons of different instances recently of fans just going too far. Right? You know, the, the fans are always going to say, a t- you know, I, I'll put it this way. The fans are always going to talk about what you did with the player's girlfriend last night, right? They're always going to talk about, ooh, I did this to your girl last night. What are you going to do about it, punk? But that's just how the fans are, right? I mean, I, I, I lean over the penalty box in Ralph Engelstad Arena, and I yell at Western Michigan players, right? Like, that that's what fans do. But I don't dump beer on their heads. I don't throw stuff at them. I don't I don't grab a hockey puck that I smuggled into the arena and throw it into the penalty box, right? I talk, I chirp, I try to get in the head, right? And the players don't care about that. Both both Mercado and Miles Straw like look. The play you can say whatever you want from the stance. We don't care. It, it's just chirping. That's the nature of the game. That's just how it goes sometimes. That's sports, right? And that's what I do when I'm front row at the Ralph. And I lean over and I talk about how Kalamazoo is a bleep and a bleep and a bleep. And I do all these different things when the dudes from Western are in the penalty box, right? But I'm not 
causing or attempting to cause any physical harm. I just want to talk bleep about Kalamazoo because Kalamazoo is a bleep and a bleep, right? That's all these different things because I, there's, there's no room in sports for this nonsense of trying to get people hurt unless they're from Kalamazoo. No, I'm kidding. But I think you can kind of understand what I'm saying here, especially as a fan who's been right up in front of it. And especially as a fan who have seen other fans of, of a team that they like almost try to cause physical harm or come close to, you know, beer dumping on players, right? Like I've being up in the tunnel and the hockey games. And for those of you who don't know, North Dakota hockey is a big deal. And North Dakota hockey fans are interesting people, especially the college ones, myself included. And when you have rivalry teams like Duluth and Denver and Cloud going through the tunnel at the end of the game, there are fans who are incredibly inebriated, who from time to time will, oops, my cup accidentally slipped out of my hands, and now this player from Duluth has a bunch of overpriced beer on them. Oh no, right? I see it. It happens, right? But as as someone who has watched it happen from teams that he hates and teams that he likes, there's no room for it in the game. And and I will be as loud as anyone in the arena talking to the other team's players or, or at the field or wherever. I will talk to the other players. I will shout things. I will say, screw Kalamazoo. I will say, Western should have never changed their logo. I will say, you are one of the three worst universities in the state of Michigan. I will say all these different things, but I will never, ever do anything that could potentially cause physical harm for a player because there's no spot for that in the game. So that's those are just my thoughts on what happened with the Yankee fans. And they, they just got to get it together because not only it, it's kind of like what I was taught. It's a less uh, emphasized version of what I was talking about with what happened to with Jawan Howard. Right. Jawan Howard is an example. Uh, of to his players of what a leader should be what a grown man who has had years decades of experience in the basketball world Juwan Howard is supposed to emulate what these men should hopefully become his players should hopefully become when they get to the point of where Juwan Howard is now right Yankee fans are representations of almost all of baseball what Yankee fans do is what the baseball outsider would assume that 98% of other baseball fans would do because the Yankees are baseball. And it hate it's painful for me to admit, coming from the former division rival of the Yankees. By the way, can we be in the Yankees division again, please? I miss that rivalry. We have no rivals. The Tigers have no rivals. I- I'm just going to say that straight up. I kind of hate the White Sox. But there's no rivals, right? Oh, are the Guardians our rivals? No, they're not our rivals. How about the Twins? No. Are you really going to have a rivalry with a Minnesota baseball team? Not really. How about the Royals? Well, the Royals are terrible. But you're terrible. Thank you. I know. Moving on. Let's go to the NFL draft, the team that I have hope for. I still have hope for the Tigers, but they are 6-9, and nine, and they are playing the Twins tonight, so go Tigers. NFL draft. We start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Why, do you ask? Well, because I'm a Lions fan. Oh, wait. Why are you starting with the Jags then if you're a Lions fan? Here's the answer. What the Jags do determine what the Lions will do. Will the Jags take Aiden Hutchinson? Will it be Trayvon Walker? How about Evan Neal? Ikemakwanu? 
There's no indication that they will trade the number one overall pick. There are no reports coming out of Jacksonville suggesting that this will happen. So what do the reports suggest? They suggest that they're going to go defensive pass rush to pair up with Josh Allen. Here's the issue. There is a bit of a discrepancy, a bit of an argument, a not necessarily falling out, but a butting of heads, if you will. Here's the issue. Trent Baalke, general manager, wants Trayvon Walker. Shad Khan, the owner, wants Aiden Hutchinson. So, who will get who they want? Now, this takes us to Detroit. Thibodeau, Walker, or Hutchinson? Will it be somebody else? Okay, the main three came on Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson. But, will someone else potentially find their way onto their board? It's possible. There have been different mock drafts suggesting that maybe somebody else outside of these three. So, let's start with the easy solution. This is the one that will take the least amount of time and will have the least amount of time focused on our discussion. If the Jags take Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson will be a Detroit Lion. Makes perfect sense. There's no reason. I'm, I'm not going to get into why, right? Because I'm not going to I'm not going to go over all this from Michigan, safe pick, the easy pick, the smart pick, the least risky pick. That's just base knowledge. It's the smart and the safe and the easy pick to make if the Jags take Trayvon Walker. If the Jags take the risk, the Lions won't take the risk. That's just how it works. Okay, so here's the more complicated idea. What happens if Jacksonville takes Hutchinson? I also want to point out that there is no indication at all that Jacksonville has any interest in Kayvon Thibodeau. They didn't even do a, an interview, a pre-draft interview with him. Thibodeau hasn't even been to Jacksonville, so honestly, that's probably good for him. Um, but the more complicated idea is what do the Lions do if the Jacksonville Jaguars take Aiden Hutchinson? That would leave, ideally, Kayvon Thibodeau and Trayvon Walker. How about somebody else? So we'll start with Trayvon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau. We'll go into some numbers, scouting reports, all these different things on, on what each person is good at, some weaknesses, some strengths. Not coming from me, by the way. I'll, you know, I'll give my little bits of opinion on who I want, stuff like that later. But what I'm going to be saying, these are numbers. These things don't lie. And these are scouting reports from scouts, okay? So we're going to start with numbers. And, and I like next-gen stats, and I like uh, uh, PFF grades with uh, you know prospects and things like that. So we'll start with the prospect grades from, from next-gen stats I, right on right on the NFL uh, website, right? So this is, I mean, this is all, this is literally all accessible. So, you know, if I go, if just for example, if I type in 2022 draft prospects, right? So I'm going to type this in on my fancy little computer here and you go to 2022 NFL draft prospects. It's right on the NFL's website, all positions, all different grades. They've got their prospect grades, next gen stats ratings. They've got all these different things, right? So this isn't me just spewing numbers. I just want to say where I got my research from, okay? So we're going to start with Trayvon Walker. His prospect grade is a 6.48. Oh my God, that's garbage. Nah, actually, no. 6.48 lands him in the category of will be a good starter, 
within two years. Next-gen stats grade is an 80, which places him in the good category. Trayvon Walker is in the good category. Kayvon Thibodeau, prospect grade of 6.72. This is 0.24 higher than Trayvon Walker. This places Kayvon Thibodeau in the year one starter category over the course of history of these prospect ratings. Prospects who have graded out as where around Thibodeau is, 6.72, have much more commonly become year one starters and productive year one starters than those with the prospect grade below 6.5, which is where Trayvon Walker sits at 6.48. So he still sits in that area of potential year one starter, but it is more of a guarantee that he will be a good starter within two years as opposed to the year that he enters the league, which means that Walker is a bit of a development project. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at number two overall, or number one overall, if you're Jacksonville, is development, is a development project really what you're looking for? And it's the upside of Trayvon Walker and what he can potentially become that is leading to these teams like Detroit and Jacksonville and even Houston potentially if he slides that far to get a development project that high in the draft because of what he can become and the upside that he carries. So Thibodeau, like I said, 6.72 prospect grade, year one starter. His next-gen stats grade is 92. Trayvon Walker's is an 80. 92 places Kayvon Thibodeau as an elite year one starter based on the history of the next-gen stats grading of draft prospects. Trayvon Walker. Let's get into some more numbers. He's six foot five, 272 pounds. Kayvon Thibodeau, six foot four, 254 pounds. So Walker is bigger. He's taller and he's a bigger person. Now it's also worth noting that Walker was almost, I believe he was about 290-ish when he stepped on campus at Georgia. So he's cut weight and he can cut more too. Trayvon Walker has bigger arms. Well, actually, no. They're the same. Okay. So Trayvon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau have the same arm length and hand size. So there's no difference there. Trayvon Walker did a 4.51 40-yard dash, and he did not do a bench press, and Walker did everything else. Thibodeau did a 4.58 40-yard dash, did 27 reps on the bench, and then was done. So Walker ran a faster 40. He didn't bench. Thibodeau ran a 0.7 second slower 40 yard and then did 27 reps on the bench, but nothing else. Walker did everything but the bench. Thibodeau did the 40 yard and the bench and then nothing else, which has had people questioning, well, how much is he dedicated? You know, it's more of a risk now that you didn't see as much of what he did on the combine. You didn't see the cone drill. You didn't see the shuttle. You didn't see different things. So it's kind of raised a red flag and it's what has I think, led Thibodeau to slip down a little bit more. So let's go to somebody else that I would look at in this number two spot. And I want to preface this by saying, yes, Jeff Okuda is a bust. There is no redemption. He could still end up being a starter. He could end up being a somewhat productive player, maybe even as a corner. But it wasn't worth three, right? Best case scenario, he comes back from injury, plays okay, 
and he's the number three corner on this team, especially if they draft the guy that I'm about to say. You don't draft Jeff Okuda third overall to be the number three corner on your team, especially with fourth round pick Amani Oruarie ahead of him, right? That's not how it works when you're drafting. Thank you, Bob Quinn. Next, the guy who you probably are thinking of by now, like once I said Jeff Okuda, you're thinking the position. Oh, it's a corner. Is it Derek Stingley? Mm, no, Sauce Gardner. So I just want to say, first off, I was terrified of the idea of drafting another corner because I I was super excited when the Lions drafted Jeff Okuda. I knew it was who had been mocked to him. It Everybody was saying Okuda to the Lions. And when it happened, I was like, okay, great. We got this super corner. He might, even if he doesn't end up being Jalen Ramsey, he can still be a, a top 10 corner in the league, hopefully, right? The top 10 biggest draft busts in the league? Yes. Top 10 corner? No. So when I started seeing the mocks of Sauce Gardner going to Detroit, when I started to see people talk about Sauce Gardner going to Detroit, I thought, oh my God, not again, please. And you also heard me talk earlier in the early days of the show about Cincinnati and what I thought about Cincinnati and what I thought about them being in the playoff and how the only way Cincinnati should ever be in the playoff is if the college football playoff is expanded. All of those thoughts aside, I really, really like Sauce Gardner. And honestly, Sauce Gardner is probably the person on this list out of him, Thibodeau, and Trayvon Walker that I'm most confident about and most, most I would say, comfortable taking and saying this guy can be an immediate difference maker. Because I don't think, honestly, I don't think Kayvon Thibodeau wants to be in Detroit. And and I remember last time what happened when somebody didn't want to be in Detroit. That was a man by the name of N. Sue. Right? I'm not going to pronounce his first name because I'll probably butcher it. But you guys know who I'm talking about, Detroit fans. And Damagon Sue, right? You remember, he did not want to be here. He, he left basically as soon as he can, didn't sign another contract. Oh, but the Lions were losing and they were terrible. Why would he want to stay? Uh, I, I guess that's also part of it because he was also part of a defense that was better than anything the Lions had seen in a really, really long time. So I, I just I get the feeling that Thibodeau doesn't want to be in Detroit, and I don't think the Lions will take somebody that they feel like doesn't necessarily want to be in town. But they it could still happen. They could still take him. They could you know sell their message. They could let Thibodeau be whoever he wants to be, do whatever he wants, and it could still work out. Trayvon Walker is a development project. I'm not drafting development project at two. I don't draft somebody that could be an all-star in three years at two. I draft somebody that has potential to be an all-star immediately at two. Somebody that wants to be in town. Hmm. Maybe somebody that was raised in Detroit. Hmm. Who could that be? Aiden Hutchinson. Well, if he's off the board, Sauce Gardner. Corner, Cincinnati, six foot three, 190 pounds. He ran a 4-4-140, prospect grade as a year one starter. Next-gen stats grade in 93, elite category, highest next-gen stats grade of all three of these guys that I've mentioned so far. Hmm. Depleted line secondary. Hmm. Makes a little bit of sense, doesn't it? Red zone defense. This guy's out of his mind with red zone defense. What was the stat? I gotta find, I gotta find my statistical research. Where is it? 
115 coverage snaps, one catch allowed, zero passer rating in the red zone. Hmm, case you don't remember, Lions red zone defense last year, it sucked. It was terrible. Hmm, perhaps Sauce Gardner could help fix some of that. When, uh, well, it won't be Devontae Adams swelling by him anymore because he's on the Raiders. Uh, hmm, either way, whoever it is that the Lions are playing against in the red zone, it won't be somebody blasting by whatever practice squad corner that we send out there when Jerry Jacobs is injured and when Amani Oruarie is injured, right? It's not going to be someone blasting by any someone that would be on a practice squad on 31 other NFL teams, right? And and I actually, I like uh, uh, what, um, uh, what's his name, Jerry Jacobs did with, with Detroit last season. I think if you have Jerry Jacobs, if you have Amani Oruarie, if you have Jeff Okuda intact, alive, if you have those three guys there and you insert Sauce Gardner into that, and, and where Jeff Okuda, and I'm not defending Okuda, but, but when Okuda came in, he was immediately expected to be the number one corner. I think if you put Gar- Sauce Gardner in, he would be the number two corner. Now, eventually you would envision him to be the number one corner, right? But as soon as he comes in, he wouldn't be expected to cover every team's best player. You get him in there, you put him opposite Oruarie, and you've got two big physical corners that can really play. And you have Okuda on the field, just on the field. Get him on the field, at least. Let him play, right? So I just, I love the idea of having, you know, keeping what we had on the D-line and and, and the linebacking card is a little bit different. We'll get to that later. But the D-line hasn't been terrible. And obviously adding somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau would, could take it to the next level. But I also think of what this cornerback room could look like if Sauce Garner gets added to it. Jerry Jacobs had a nice year. Oruarie has been developing well. And if Jeff Okuda gets two feet on the field at any point in time, along with Tracy Walker, and you add Sauce Garner to that mix, I think that's a decent secondary, right? It's not Baltimore 2000, but it's a good secondary. I think that is a, it's, it's an above average secondary. I really do, especially, especially once Gardner gets a year in the league. And, and I obviously want Gardner to come in and produce immediately. Right. That's what I've been saying. Right. I want someone who's going to come in and produce immediately. He doesn't have to be an all star immediately. But as long as he comes in and produces and you see flashes of what he can be, you say, look, this guy is good now, but he's going to be really good in two or in three years. And that's what I want. Right. Young Jerry Jacobs, young Amani Oruarie, young Sauce Gardner, young ish Tracy Walker, young Jeff Okuda, possibly alive. Okay, you've got all these people, and that is a secondary that you can have and develop over the course of eight or nine years, especially if Sauce Gardner pans out as a pick and Jeff Okuda just gets on the field once. That's it, right? And that's that's something that I really like to think about because obviously the front seven was a bit of an issue last season, but the secondary was as well. So you shore up one of these areas, especially if somebody like Scene falls or if Dax Hill falls to us, right? There's a lot of different things that can be done on the defensive side of the ball. And I want the Lions, there have been, you know, quarterback rumors, all these different things, right? If the Lions go all defense in the first round, I have no problem. You take three defensive players in the first round, no problem. So that was kind of just rambling a little bit about 
Sauce Gardner. We'll get back to Sauce Gardner's scouting report in a little bit. But uh, uh, Mike Tannenbaum actually mocked Sauce Gardner to Detroit at two at the end of March in an ESPN article as Trayvon Walker was rising. As Thibodeau had this, you know, kind of weird thing with the combine where it was like, uh, what's he doing? He's not doing anything. And as Hutchinson was consistently mocked as an one overall pick to Jacksonville before or kind of after the Evan Neal or Ikemakwanu uh, rumors had sort of died down a little bit. So American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. He had 40 tackles, four and a half for loss, three sacks, three picks, four pass breakups and 14 starts. Sauce Gardner did not allow a receiving touchdown during the three-year stint with Cincinnati. Oh, he only had three interceptions in three seasons. Hmm. Yeah, that's true, actually. Wow. I guess I don't want him anymore just because he only had three interceptions in three years. Scrap that entire argument. Just kidding. Nobody threw to him. How is he going to get three picks if nobody throws the ball at him? So that's going to be the complicated part, though. And this is this is the last thing I'll say before I get into the scouting reports for Trayvon Walker, Thibodeau, and Sauce Gardner. So... He barely got thrown at at Cincinnati because he was that locked down of a corner. He gets drafted in the NFL as a rookie. Cornerback is not an easy position to play. They will target him immediately. Gardner will go from barely getting thrown at to being targeted on numerous occasions, especially guarding the team's number two receiver at any given point. So, you know, maybe he's not matched up on Justin Jefferson week one against the Vikings, right? But, you know, he'll get... somebody is going to get matched up against Garner and he's going to get attacked. And you'll, you'll know early. And you knew with Okuda early because as highly touted as Okuda was, he was targeted as soon as he got in the league and he got, he got baked. He got baked on a lot of his plays while he was healthy. And then, you know, he wasn't healthy. So I think you'll know pretty within probably the first four weeks of what Garner is going to look like for the rest of his first year. And if he looks good, then that's great because then he can be really good because that's only his first year. And they'll if teams can know that this guy is going to cover a number two and eventually a number one receiver halfway through his first season in the NFL, I mean that's that is such a win. So that's the that's the concern. He he didn't get tested that much because nobody was throwing at him because he was that locked down and he wasn't getting tested against a bunch of NFL receivers. The closest comparison would be when he locked down Jamison Williams against Alabama. And even then, Jamison Williams didn't beat him. I think he gave up like, oh my gosh, four catches for like 20 yards or something like that in the in the uh, game against Alabama in the playoffs. So I love the thought of the Lions drafting Sauce Gardner. And, and also this angle too. And, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling about Sauce Gardner. This is the last thing I'll say about Sauce. If Brad Holmes takes Sauce Gardner at two, that means Sauce Gardner was his man the entire time. And he wasn't going to draft Trayvon Walker. And he wasn't going to draft Kayvon Thibodeau. And he wasn't going to draft Malik Willis. And Hutchinson's already off the board, so we can't get Sheila Hamp's favorite player. Okay? If Sauce Gardner gets drafted by the Lions at two, that means Holmes scouted him watched him, sent every asset that he had to watch Sauce Garner, and that means that Brad Holmes did his work and he's wanted this guy since the start. So if Brad Holmes drafts this guy, that means his success 
where his failure is 100% on Brad Holmes. It's not on Sheila Hamp. It's not on Dan Campbell. If Gardner comes in and he's terrible, that is all on Brad Holmes. And if he comes in and he's amazing, that is all on Brad Holmes. And it's the same if they draft a stinking quarterback. Next, scouting report. This is the part where this is not my words. It is the words of professional scouts. So don't take it from me, the idiot. Take it from the scout who know what they're doing, who watch these players every day, scouted them since middle school. Bleacher Report scouts, USA Today scouts, scouts of the scouts of the scouts, the Boy Scouts. Oh, wait, no, wait, I don't. Are they the Boy Scouts? I, I don't know. I, uh, sorry. Sorry if you're a Boy Scout, but they're not actually scouts anymore. Moving on. Trayvon Walker, positives. Great length, tall frame with long arms. Flash is a very good first step. Violent hands. Packs a major punch. <laughs> Pack a punch. Great upper body strength. Can control blocks with ease. Very good lower body strength. Anchors consistently. Very good speed and fluidity in space, especially for his size. Above average bend and flexibility around the edge for his size. Great discipline and technique against the run. And positional flexibility. Lined up anywhere from a three tech to a stand up six tech. So I'm not, I, if, if you want to get into what, you know, three tech, six technique means, you can go into a little deeper dive on it. I'm not going to spend my precious time explaining that, but basically put into great words, I'd say by the scout here, three tech, six tech, basically he can do a lot of different things. He's not just going to do one thing. He's a threat in, in many different areas, not just on, on the D line, right? He can drop into pass coverage. He can be a spy. He can bull rush. He can do a lot of different things. So there are a lot of good positive on Trayvon Walker's scouting report. Negative. He could stand to sequence his hand fighting better as a pass rusher. He tends to wait too long to shed blocks in the run game, especially when working laterally. Okay. Does not cover much ground when coming off blocks as expected. Leg drive and power as a pass rusher comes and goes. Acceleration to the corner is lacking. Does not build momentum through second and third steps as a pass rusher. Okay. So it's not, you know, it's not purposely finding ways to demolish Trayvon Walker and say why he's not going to be or he's not worthy of the number two overall pick or the number one overall pick. It's just negatives, things of concern that can be fixed, things of concern that were noted in his scouting time in, in Georgia and over the course of the offseason leading into this draft, right? So this isn't, oh, Trayvon Walker sucks. This is what can he work on as he gets into the NFL. Here's something else. He had six sacks. A direct quote. Trayvon Walker provides some of the best versatility in the class. Okay. The draft grade from this particular scout is an 8.2. Year one starter. Pro comparison. Trey Flowers. I saved this detail for the last because you assume that this scouting report happened two days ago. This happened after Georgia. This happened after the combine. This was right after the combine. Grade 8.2. Year one starter, pro comparison, Trey Flowers. Listen to this. 
overall rank 22. Late first, early second round pick. DL2 as the position rank. Defensive lineman 2. Are you kidding me? This guy opens as 30 to 1 odds to be the number one pick. 30 or 40 to 1 odds to be the number one pick from Caesars Sportsbook. Doesn't play a game. Has one combine and a couple of interviews. And he's all of a sudden the consensus number one overall pick. Not not in my world. I'm sorry. Not in my world. But if something were to happen and he were to fall potentially somewhere, then somebody would be very lucky to get him at eight or at nine as a developmental project. But he's not my pick at number two. I'm sorry. And if it happens, then you know what? I I hope it works. But I'm not picking somebody who a month ago was compared to Trey Flowers as a professional scout. Believe me, I know how that went. And then was a late first round, early second round estimate literally four weeks ago. Not my thing. Sorry. On passing downs, Walker lacks consistency, but the tools are there. All direct quotes. He flies off the ball at times and displays better flexibility than expected for a player his size. Walker needs to hone his sequencing as a pass rusher as well as be more consistent on how he drives his legs through contact. So there's a lot of good things about Trayvon Walker. I just can't do it at the number two overall pick. I'm sorry. Kayvon Thibodeau. Quote, perfect for the position. Long, lean frame that still holds plenty of weight and muscle. Good first step. Gains a ton of ground right off the snap. Acceleration through his second and third steps is excellent. Can win the corner straight away. Very good flexibility. Can get low, bend around the edge, and turn to explode back to the quarterback. Flashes of good power. Not a true bull rusher, but has it in his arsenal. Great change of direction and explosiveness. Allows him to knife inside as a pass rusher. Above average anchor against the run. Great speed. Shows up when finishing as a pass rusher, as well as in space against the run. Surprising coverage versatility. Was regularly asked to drop and cover at Oregon and did so effectively. Oh, but he hasn't played. He opted out. Uh, Jamar Chase did too. He turned out okay. Negatives. Hand usage needs work. Too often just latches on rather than striking with his hands, which is completely opposite to Trayvon Walker. Can struggle against non-zone runs. Does not always see pullers and kickout blocks coming to him. Overall thoughts. Though a pass rusher first and foremost, Thibodeau also has the right traits to contribute in the run game right away. He can rip through the backfield as well as stand up a blocker in his gap and set the edge. Thibodeau has even added value on passing downs and that he can drop to play the flat area comfortably, which could add extra value for some teams. Grade 9.2. Top 5 player. Overall rank 1. Position rank edge 1. Pro comparison, Josh Allen. 110%. So, I'm not saying that this scout is a million percent right, but I think I liked what the scout did in terms of, one, when this was written. This was written four weeks ago. This was written right or, uh, this was written right after the combine. 
And there's something about the fact that Trayvon Walker rose so much. And it just doesn't make sense. Like, what changed? There's all, it always seems like there's, there's a way that someone rises and somebody falls without any games being played or with just a couple of interviews. Just something happens and oh my gosh, this guy's the number one pick now. And, and it's very interesting how it seems to happen that way. And, and I'm just, I don't, I don't like it. So Thibodeau is predicted top five player then, predicted top five player now. And I like that consistency. Now on to my man. Sauce Gardner. Opposing quarterbacks had a career passer rating of 31.2 when throwing Sauce Gardner's way, which is lower than a quarterback spiking the ball into the ground every play. That's a direct quote. Red zone. I already mentioned this. 115 cover snaps, one catch allowed, zero pass rating. Hmm, yeah, does seem like a good fit for a bottom of the barrel red zone defense last season in Detroit. So, Let's go over a little bit of history because I understand the the dangers of taking a a corner this high. It'd be the highest drafted corner ever in history. So let's go through every corner that's been drafted in the top five. Sean Springs, Bryant Westbrook, Charles Woodson, Quentin Jammer, Terrence Newman, Patrick Peterson, Jalen Ramsey, Denzel Ward, Jeff Okuda. So you would think if he gets drafted second overall, he would theoretically have to be better than all of these players because of where he got drafted. And, and the 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 logic in me would say yes. He if you draft a corner second overall, he should be one of the best corners to ever play the game. But I think if he is, as long as in two years he's in the Jalen Ramsey, Denzel Ward, Patrick Peterson discussion, I think it's a good pick. Right, especially if after not this season, but after next season, Pro Bowler in that Ramsey conversation. You know, people say, Wow, this guy's a lot like Jalen Ramsey after, you know, in that twenty seventeen season with Jacksonville. He's a lot like Denzel Ward. He's a lot like Patrick Peterson in his prime, right? I would if those are the conversations that are being had, that number two pick is a great pick if Sauce Gardner becomes that. So how about his weaknesses? The only thing that jumps out, quote is sometimes poor tackling technique, but even those instances seem few and far between. He also struggled with penalties earlier in his career, racking up 12 of them in his first two years, though that issue seems to have been corrected recently. So I gotta say, after all of this, all this talk, Hutchinson, Sauce Gardner, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, uh, Trayvon Walker, you already know that I, I don't really want Trayvon Walker. I wouldn't be mad. If they took Trayvon Walker, I wouldn't say it's a terrible pick. I just think it's an incredibly dangerous pick. More dangerous than Sauce Gardner because, because the, here, here's the only thing. There, there's something that all three of Sauce Gardner, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Aiden Hutchinson all have in common. None of them are using words like development or two to three years, right? I've used the words two years for Sauce Gardner to be really, really really good. But I'm saying he's an impact player year one. Kayvon Thibodeau, impact year one. Aiden Hutchinson, impact year one. Trayvon Walker is a two-year development project, at least. Then he becomes the true impact player, and then he can hit his ceiling year three and potentially be this big-time defensive end that everyone thinks he could potentially become. Now, 
That's why I get scared of Trayvon Walker, and especially at number two, right? Say somebody takes him at nine, I mean, that's a great pick at nine. But we're not at nine, we're at two. Oh, so trade down. Okay, there's a million different scenarios where we could trade down. So, all of this said, I want Aiden Hutchinson. But if Hutchinson goes to Jacksonville, because that, that was the main discussion, right? What happens if Aiden Hutchinson goes to Jacksonville? Then I want Sauce Gardner. But overall, you know, if, if Trayvon Walker does end up going to to Jacksonville and Trent Baalke gets what he wants, I want Aiden Hutchinson. It's the smartest pick and it's the safest pick. And I'm terrified of the Lions doing anything trying to develop. Like, if the Lions try to develop somebody, I'm like, uh, that that's not really what we're known for. So I'm kind of scared of that happening. But if Hutchinson falls... I think we got to take Hutchinson. There, there's, there's no smarter move than Hutchinson. Hutchinson was basically in the top of all the recruiting numbers in in, in next gen stats in in the NFL prospect rankings in, in scouting reports. Aiden Hutchinson was at top. Aiden Hutchinson will be a great player. I just don't think the potential is as high as it would be for Thibodeau and Sauce Gardner. But it's much less of a risk, and you know exactly what you're going to get with Aiden Hutchinson. And I think right now, I think for the Lions, if you were to take somebody that you know what they're going to become, and you know that they're going to become a great player and an anchor on the defensive end, on the defensive line, but obviously specifically at the end, I think that's a super smart idea. And I would love if, if Aiden Hutchinson came to Detroit. And you want to know the funny part? I'm saying this in a Michigan State polo shirt right now. I think Aiden Hutchinson would be a great fit for Alliance defense. I think, you know, you keep talking about, I hear culture fit for Aiden Hutchinson Alliance. I really don't care about that because if you were to say Aiden Hutchinson is a culture fit for the Lions, you'd be calling him a loser. And I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is a loser. I think he's actually a really great football player. And I think he can be really good in the NFL. And if he slips to the Lions, they'll take him. And that'll be it. That'll be the end of the discussion. I'll say it's a great pick, and we'll move on, and we'll have a really great defensive end. But somebody else can end up getting Jalen Ramsey 2.0, and somebody else can end up getting, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, a.k.a. Miles Garrett. And then in four years, I'm not saying Kayvon Thibodeau is going to become Miles Garrett, but I'm saying if Thibodeau reaches his potential, he could be like Miles Garrett, right? And then we'll see in four years, you know, somebody will have Trayvon Walker, who will be a complete monster. And we will have Aiden Hutchinson, who is a very nice defensive end who will produce good numbers for us. But if that were to happen, I wouldn't be mad. Because I'm not, this is a weird comparison to make, but nobody complains about Hakeem Olajuwon going above Michael Jordan. Because Hakeem Olajuwon was a really good player, right? If We know what Hutchinson's going to become. He's going to become a really good player. And whoever takes Thibodeau below us and, you know, Walker goes above, Aiden Hutchinson, whoever takes Sauce Gardner below us, right? If if Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, and let's just say Kayvon Thibodeau, let's say Sauce Gardner doesn't pan out, right? Let's say it's Walker, Thibodeau, and Hutchinson that all become great players, and Walker and Thibodeau end up becoming better pros than Hutchinson, but Hutchinson is a really good player like we know he will be, right? There isn't going to be this whole, oh, you took Jeff Okuda over fill in the blank. Right? You say you took Aiden Hutchinson. It was a good pick. It was a smart pick. He became a really good pro. It's just Thibodeau and Walker developed into more. 
But I don't think that's necessarily a big issue right now, because as long as you know what you're going to get out of Aiden Hutchison, which I like what we're going to get, I have no problem with that pick at number two. And I think it would be, I think it'd be a really good pick. So if Hutchinson falls, you got to take Hutchinson. But if Jacksonville takes Hutchinson, I say, I say take Sauce Garner and try and get this clamp corner. I think, I think it would be a great, I think it'd be a great fit for this team. I really do. So let's go to, to close it out. Let's go to the end of the first round. Let's talk about Jordan Davis and Malik Willis. I've heard talks about Jordan Davis and Malik Willis potentially more, more so Malik Willis to, uh, to get drafted by Lions, to be looked at by the Lions, right? Malik Willis is currently the favorite to go to Pittsburgh, but there are words and rumors around of Malik Willis, uh, going to Detroit and potentially Lions making a move for Jordan Davis. I don't think you can wait for these people. I think if you really want Jordan Davis or Malik Willis, you have to trade up to take them. Right, to take 32 and, and then next year, next year's Rams pick, or take 32 and 34 this year and give it to you know whoever whoever you want to trade with to move up for Jordan Davis or Malik Willis. Now, if you don't want any, either of these people, you got to take the best available linebacker on the board. And if Nicobe Dean is there, take him. But if Nicobe Dean isn't there, George Karloftis potentially, safety Lewis Seen, safety Daxon Hill. If you could have. If you could have Lewis Seen and Tracy Walker playing against, playing opposite each other in that secondary, think about this. Think about Sauce Gardner, Lewis Seen slash Daxon Hill, one or the other, Tracy Walker, Jerry Jacobs, Amani Oruarie, Jeff Okuda. That is a great secondary. There, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that would be a great look for the Lions. But if Nicobe Dean's gone, if Daxon Hill's gone and you don't like Lewis Seen, I've seen mocks where potentially Jahan Dotson, Chris Olave, or Christian Watson could be available. I, th- I, I feel like Jahan, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson, or Chris Olave, one of those three will be there. So for 32 and 34, if you can get either one, if you can get two of these players out of Nicobe Dean, Lewis Seen, Daxton Hill, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson or Chris Olave. If you get two out of those one, two, three, four, five, six players, I mean, I think that's a great first round, as well as, you know, whoever you get at number two, whether it be Sauce Gardner or Aiden Hutchinson. I really think, I really think it's going to be Sauce Gardner or Aiden Hutchinson. Because if, if, if Aiden falls, it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson. And if Aiden Hutchinson gets drafted by, by, um, Jacksonville, I, I, I honestly, I wouldn't be shocked. To see him take Sauce Garner, there, there, there isn't a good reason to say that they wouldn't take Sauce Garner, other than uh, Brad Holmes has been heavily scouting Kayvon Thibodeau. And that would be the only thing, right? And, and if they took Thibodeau, I'd be thrilled. I'd be totally fine. But again, I just think Hutchinson is the safest pick. I think it's the smartest pick. But if it were me, I would take a reach. I draft Sauce Gardner. And, and I, I take another roll of dice. You can only screw up drafting top three corners so many times, right? <laughs> oh, God help us, honestly. <laughs> it's a tough one, but I think this is, this is a great, a great test for Brad Holmes because if Brad Holmes can sort through all this chaos, and this is a truly chaotic draft, if Brad Holmes can sort through this draft and get three starters, I mean, I, that's a great job. And that's, that's faith. That is faith and trust. In this general manager more than more than I had in in 
uh, Bob Quinn at any point in time. And we'll see what Dan Campbell does with him. So that's kind of that's kind of my my thoughts on it. And I've heard the Malik Willis, Josh Allen comparison. I've heard the Malik Willis arm strength thing. I think if you really want Malik Willis, trade up and get him. And then I would I would leave that one in the hands of Brad Holmes. If Brad Holmes really wants Malik Willis and they trade, I mean Malik Willis came to Detroit. He, he's been here as well as I think uh, Kenny Pickett was too. But if they really want Malik Willis and they trade up and get him, I, I, I'm just I'm gonna say. Let's see how it goes. You know, I'll do a little bit of a breakdown and give my thoughts on it. But the overall consensus of what I think is I'm just going to trust that Brad Holmes knew what he was doing. He got the man that he really wanted, and he made a move to trade up to get him. And I have full faith in Brad Holmes, and I'm just going to wait and see. Now, I think that move is unlikely, especially because they talk about Jared Goff like he's John the Baptist. But I, I, I can't. I don't really know. I don't know what goes on in the mind of Brad Holmes, but what I can say is, is the way they talk about Jared Goff, the way they speak about the contract, the way they speak about the future of the Lions and the quarterback position, right? It was a very vague answer that Brad Holmes gave about Malik Willis, which could be him not wanting to show his cards, but, but I think it's also more so Brad Holmes scouted Goff out of college. Brad Holmes was solely responsible for taking Goff in LA. And I, I just think Brad Holmes is linked to Goff for at least the end of the contract, and I don't think that they'll draft the quarterback. But if they do, and if they do trade up to take Willis, or I mean, even crazier, if they take him at two, I, I, I just say, I just put my hands up and I say, you know what? I hope to God you know what you're doing because this is a huge risk, and in in it's it's a risk as well with Sauce Gardner. But if they if they take two picks and they trade up for Malik Willis, I mean, whew, that's a big that's a big massive risk. But we'll see how it plays out. Next week will obviously be be the reaction of the draft as well as anything else that comes out. Probably do some NBA playoffs as well. But that's the Lions draft preview. That's the baseball. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what I have. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being such a loyal fan base. And I will talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. For the first time this season, go Lions. Peace.